Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I am joined by my colleague Jay Shabat to discuss Delta's new pilot agreement and the IATA outlook for 2023. Please enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Hi, Ned, how are you? Good, good. It's, uh, we're in the December uh, doldrums between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but it's certainly not quiet out there. We've got Investor Days, uh, Galore, Valeris, Azul, Delta, or sorry, Valeris, Azul, and Southwest have gone this week. We have Delta next week and is plenty to do before we get to Christmas later this month. Yeah, that's right. You know, December is kind of a strange month because it's the last month of the quarter and usually the last months of the quarter are generally quiet. Uh, we, we tend to uh, get a little bit of a break, but not 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 December. The fourth quarter is a little different. It's uh, as you mentioned, there's just a whole bunch of airlines giving these elaborate investor day presentations. And um, as we'll talk about later, uh, IATA's uh, got a lot to say and uh, certainly a lot happening in the oil markets and whatnot. So yeah, there's there's uh, it's the airline industry. There's a lot going on. Absolutely. So let's take one of those data points, and that is Delta Airlines and its pilot union, the Airline Pilot Association, reached a an agreement in principle, which isn't yet a tentative agreement, but it is an agreement on a new contract that will give pilots a pretty impressive thirty four percent raise uh, over the next four years if they ratify it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good time to be a uh, a pilot. It's a nice nice market right now. Uh, supply of labor is tight, and demand is very strong. And it's um it is one. What's interesting is if you look at the U.S. economy as a whole, uh, many sectors. Uh, you might might even say most most sectors, uh, are are struggling now. Uh, if you look at you know the housing sector is 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 frozen. The tech sector is laying off people. Uh, the you know the auto sector still has issues with uh, with supply. There's um, and and retailers are you know not kind of experienced. They're not really experiencing that big you know Christmas peak as usual. Um, so there's a lot of pessimism about there. But travel is one area, uh, including you know air travel that is doing very well right now. So if you're a pilot, um, if you're the pilots negotiating, it's kind of a good time to be doing that. Absolutely. I mean, you made a very good point. We have a pilot shortage in the U.S., which is you know not impacting the Deltas, Americans, and Uniteds of the world so much as their regional partners. But they're you know they do have issues sort of getting everything through training, filling captain seats. Uh, one of the things is captains need more hours than first officers. But all of this is working in favor has worked in favor of the union. It appears in getting this agreement, as as Alpha put it in a message to its members uh, last Friday. You know the agreement has no concessions. So that is, it's like you said, it's a great time to be a pilot. Uh, and for Delta, I mean, the agreement's pricey, but it does end a period of sort of labor rancor. Delta pilots have been upset about the amount they've had to fly uh, set during their recovery. They you know, voted to authorize a potential strike in November. Uh, we've spoken about that before, but of, of course, a, a strike vote doesn't mean a strike is imminent, but it's it's more of a negotiating ploy and allows them in the future to go on strike. So, you know, the agreement, it might be pricey, but it comes with uh, the piece of labor, the piece of labor piece uh, for Delta, which is, is not uh, something small, that's for sure. And what we'll have to see, uh, what, what happens next with United, which had an agreement, but they're, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the, the pilots voted that down, right, in a rank and file vote. 
They uh, did, but that agreement yeah. was for significantly lower rates uh, mm-hmm. that they agreed to, and it was it was widely expected to be voted down because within, I want to say, a week of that the agreement tentative agreement being reached in June. American Airlines leadership leaked some uh, potential rates for their pilots to the media, and it was higher than United's rates. And so guess what? United pilots were not about to be outbeat by American very quickly turned against the agreement. So, you know, it's it's yeah, what what we see from Delta and what I, I keep hearing is, is this is a benchmark for pilot pay in the U.S. And we are likely to see American Delta, American United and Southwest follow suit uh, very quickly because they all have their own open contracts at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what tends to happen is uh, you do sort of have that pattern of, uh, you know, Delta will go first and then the others will maybe not match exactly, but eventually the industry kind of moves towards parity. It's very different, for example, like in the railroad industry where the entire industry bargains together with like all the workers. It's a, uh, you know, like a, the the um, the companies, like all the companies bargain with all the unions. It's basically one negotiation. Where in the airline industry, it's company by company, um, and so so you you know you, you do what it what it does essentially create is these brief periods where so now let's say Delta ratifies or the pilots ratify this. Well, now you know American United Southwest will have some time in which they have a significant labor cost advantage. Um, and then over time, that probably evens out because, you know, maybe United then jumps ahead of Delta and then Delta has the advantage. Um, I guess we should importantly add that uh, the pilots at Delta are uh, that airline's only major union um, unionized workforce. So That's whereas, right. so, yeah. So mm-hmm. we're not going to see a similar similar jump in pay at another group unless Delta management decides to. That said, uh, the airline uh, associate. <laughs> The AFA, Association of Flight Attendants, uh, is trying to organize flight attendants at Delta. So that could come, but that is separate from from this agreement, of right. course. And, they, and they, they've been trying to organize them for decades and, you know, not saying that they never will, but uh, that's that's always been a kind of a, a threat right, to Delta. Right. Another thing mm-hmm. that jumped out in the agreement was the, the the scope. And so scope for listeners that aren't familiar is the amount of regional aircraft that Delta is allowed to contract with uh, other airlines that are allowed under the pilots agreement. Scope has played a big role in the number of regional jets airlines have been able to add. Uh, right now, uh, scope agreements across the industry cap regional jets at 76 seats or uh, a specific weight that escapes me at the moment. Um, so that's why you don't see uh, larger regional aircraft flying at affiliates. But the new scope agreement also, it reduces the number of small regional jets in the Delta fleet. Now, this isn't a huge deal in, for Delta, in my opinion, simply because they already have said they want to shrink the number of small regional jets. Uh, when I say small, I mean 50-seaters. But it, it is notable that Delta has provided, has allowed them to shrink that fleet without some commensurate increase in 76-seat flying, which has long been the goal of airline management. Regional jets are cheaper to contract than it is to fly for themselves. So it's interesting seeing them them give in on, on scope a little bit without any relief elsewhere. You know, before the pandemic, something I wrote a lot about was the fact that the next generation of regional jets all have are heavier than the current scope limits. So even if you bought if you bought an E one seven five E two, it is a little bigger, but you could reconfigure it with seventy six seats. But even if you did, it would still be too heavy. So. 
it's interesting to me that Delta has not did not get any concessions there, even though they've shrank the the number of regional jets they're getting. But that could just be the power, the the negotiating power the union had. So yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a little bit of history there. I think ever since the sort of the the advent of the CRJ two hundred, which was you know at the time pretty revolutionary, and was that early nineteen nineties. I know you know Delta was was a pioneer uh, using that plane to great effect in hubs like Cincinnati uh, and. Really, the the model um, was was really essentially an outsourcing model, whereas you would take some of your shorter routes and you would have someone else fly these planes, another company that can fly these planes with essentially lower labor costs. I mean, you're really arbitraging labor. So you'd have the SkyWest of the world, the Republics of the world. Um, they would they would fly it for you, or sometimes these subsidiaries were, or sometimes these these sort of outsourced companies were wholly owned subsidiaries uh, of, you know, the big airlines. But um, it was essentially an outsourcing model. And that kind of was always the case for a long time. And that's, I, th- I think that's sort of run its course because um, it's, which is not to say SkyWest, Republic it still won't, you know, still don't play a, an important role and, and won't going forward. They will. Um, but I think this idea of, you know, we just got to outsource as much of our small jet flying as possible um, it just, it's not as compelling anymore because of the regional jet pilot shortage, um, you know, regional just costs have gone up a lot. So I think airlines like Delta have kind of reconciled with the idea that, okay, we've got to fly a lot of this stuff with mainline now, whether it's, you know, A220, 220s, or, you know, some airlines still flying the 717s. Uh, so that's, I think a lot of what I just said went into the thinking of Delta's negotiators when they were, you know, discussing this new contract with pilots. Right. And the, and the truth is, is Delta's has, is in a good place because they have A220s and 717s. It'll be interesting to see, on the other hand, what American United do, because they don't have those small mainline narrow bodies. You know, their smallest mm-hmm. aircraft are A319s and 737-700s, which are a little larger than the A220 and the 717, but they're also getting old and those will be gone in the next decade. And if you think about this pilot agreement, it's four years, but really it's sort of going to govern fleet plans for for a while through the 2020s. So it'll be interesting to watch. Definitely, definitely. Actually, Delta does have a lot. Their network is unique, especially in the Southeast. There are a lot of those kind of small or not small, but short haul routes, um, you know, a couple hundred miles into and out of Atlanta where you know you 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 kind of you can't fly very large narrow bodies so it's it's you know very relevant to them absolutely all right jay we'll take a break and come back and talk a bit about the the ida outlook and we're back jay you had a chance to look at iada's updated outlook this week what what did they find well, they're a little more optimistic now. They uh, they said that in 2023, the airline industry collectively, globally, is going to be profitable again. They're saying 4.6 billion um, on a net basis, which is a very very thin margin. On you know, we're talking about all the airlines in the world here. Uh, don't put too much stock in that number. It's just a forecast. It's just you know, trying to give a sense that. Things are getting better. Um, for the record here, in 2020, that was the big COVID year when a lot of airlines had to suspend their service. 
IATA said Global Airlines lost $138 billion. That's a net, uh, net after taxes. Uh, in 2021, things got a little better. They lost only $42 billion. Um, and they expect uh, when 2022 is all said and done, losses will have amounted to about $7 billion. So you can see how things have gotten better, and they expect the you know things to sort of turn the corner into the black in 2023. Um, now, there are a lot of differences by region. A lot of the global airline industry profits are concentrated in the U.S., which is a very consolidated market, um, and you have you know, companies like the big three, American United Delta, which we talked about earlier, um, who are, you know, they're, they've been making money um, again this year. So uh, a lot of other regions, particularly Asia Pacific, um, will still, will still likely be mired in losses, especially if you include China, which, um, you know, is kind of the furthest behind in terms of reopening and uh, having, you know, seen traffic revive. Absolutely. You know, it's I mean, it, it's profitability, I think, is going to follow the, the reopenings in many countries, uh, as we've talked about before. But it's it's interesting to see, you know, IATA guess get more optimistic as we go through listening to their briefings early in the pandemic and talk of maybe 2024, maybe 2025 recovery, maybe never. And, and here we are looking at industry wide profitability like you thin, but still profitability next year. You know, I'm sure that the U.S. is going to lead that. Europe uh, looks like they're on track for a profitable 2023. Um, yep. And they said the Mid I had to think Middle East as well. Uh, and then some of the other regions like Latin, as I said, Asia Pacific, Africa. Now, Asia Pacific, I always think it's kind of a silly designation. Asia Pacific is, you know, that, that encompasses a lot. Um, it's, uh, you know, that includes both India and China, which are two totally, totally different markets, you know, Australasia and all that. So, um but in a very broad sense, yes, Asia, Asia Pacific uh, is expected to lose money again. But there will be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Qantas in Australia has a very good year, drive profits there. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think they forecast to be returned to profits uh, this fiscal year. So mm -hmm. I think don't, you know, our listeners can correct me on that. But yeah, I mean, Australia has been booming since it came back. So yeah, you're right. Asia Pacific is a large region and has lots mm -hmm. of, uh, it's, it's, many diverse markets that are for well, many intents and purposes different separate from each other so while chinese airlines and east asian airlines might still be struggling indian and australian could be doing a lot better it's yeah there's a lot of variation within asia pacific yeah and and there's um there seems to be there seem to be like um a lot of uh improvement in certain areas of asia uh, so th this, I have, we have a chart, um, and you can look at this in, in our issue that'll be coming out um, on Monday. Uh, it compares the operating profit margins for the third quarter of 2022 versus the third quarter of 2019. So how airlines are doing now versus how they were doing just you know a couple months before the couple quarters before the pandemic. And interestingly enough. A lot of there, there's a few there's of of um we we have about sixty that we covered here, and uh, only fifteen of them, um, which I guess is kind of a surprisingly big number, um, are actually doing actually did better this third quarter than they did pre-pandemic, and a lot of them are actually in Asia. Um, the number one, the most improved airline from now since the pandemic, believe it or not, uh, is Philippine Airlines. Um, with a, they they. Uh, 
they they lost a lot of money in uh, third quarter 2019. They had a negative eight percent margin, um, but they actually had a twelve percent positive twelve percent margin um, this quarter. Now they don't um, they're not a publicly traded or they. Well, I was going to say chapter eleven has to work wonders for you. <laughs> I mean, you get to shed all those costs through uh, through restructuring through the courts. So that's, yes, uh, that's yes. got to help. <laughs> For sure. I think that's a big part of the explanation there. Um, I think they may be publicly traded. I, I, I'm not sure. But but in any case, they don't do any kind of, uh, you know, investor presentations or anything. They're they're not uh, particularly transparent with their with their numbers. Uh, they do. I, I suspect, as you said, they just probably cut costs massively. I think they also um, have done very well with their cargo operation. Um, they also carry a lot of uh, overseas Filipino workers. Um, that's a big part of the economy. There is Philippine Filipino workers in uh, just all over the world, and I think they've been doing well. Probably, you know, a lot of those people haven't been home in two or three years, and they're they're all coming back. So they're I bet you they're you know their U.S. roots, Canada roots, probably probably doing very well. Um, so that that explains that. And then you have um, you know other airlines like Korean Airs is, is is doing much better now because of their very large cargo operation. Uh, Thai Airways, they also went through bankruptcy. Singapore Airlines, um, really, really doing well. I think we've written about them recently. So uh, the so there's you know Asia. Don't don't think of Asia as just being kind of a lost cause. It's there's a lot of interesting thing you know sub stories happening within the region, uh, even East Asia. And then on sort of the other end of the the, the scale, you have your Chinese airlines, which are just doing much 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 worse. They actually a lot of them did. Um, very well. The third quarter tends to be a peak season for them, so they did very well in two, 2019, and now they're you know just losing extraordinary amounts of money because a lot of the international markets are closed and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. What strikes me about this chart, and our, our listeners will get a chance to look at this on Monday, is a lot of the world's most profitable airlines, which the U.S. is one of the markets that is really profitable, they're actually... Um, down they're they're in the red here because they're not as profitable as they were during the pandemic so it's 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 the airlines that might not have been quite so profitable in 2019 are doing a lot better today uh as they've come out of the pandemic than they were before so it, it's funny there it's not necessarily the the top earners uh in 2019 that you would think of that are leading this chart but it's it's a good chart and and listeners you'll definitely enjoy taking a look at this in the issue yeah, no, it's an important point you make. It's not a chart of which airlines are doing best right now. It's an airlines. It's a chart of just showing the improvement now versus then. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Jay, always a pleasure to chat with you here in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Uh, listeners, you can reach myself at er at skift.com. You can reach Jay at js at skift.com. Jay, have a good week. Ned, I have to uh, disrupt your. Oh. Uh, oh. No, I. <laughs> I have to disrupt your sign off because I have the. I think we should mention the most important development in the airline industry right now, which is the fact I'm. I'm actually looking at the price of oil uh, as we speak. It's about two thirty on Wednesday afternoon, and we're now at seventy two dollars a barrel. That's WTI, uh, just for comparison we're doing a lot of comparisons here uh in june of this year so we're only talking a couple months ago wti was at 115 the average for, for june this year is 115 so we've had a dramatic drop off in oil prices not maybe not quite as sharp in terms of the jet fuel prices because there's issues with you know crack crack spreads and whatnot 
but still <laughs> that's uh that's a very 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 significant development so keep your eye on that and maybe i if, if this holds uh perhaps iada's profit forecast will be too conservative maybe maybe airlines will wind up making more money than iada expects next year well, we will have to see as we go into the new year if that what happens there, but a little uh, lower oil will definitely help with the cost pressures airlines are seeing. And now All I'll right. let you say goodbye for real. Jay, always a pleasure. Listeners, if you want to reach myself, you can reach me at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, have a good week. Oh, you too, Ned. Thanks to all our listeners, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.